The following program is a rerun of a previous live show. Hence, any announcements made during the repeat may now not be applicable. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live with Safar Iqbal and Brother ABC. Yes, or Dr. ABC, inshallah. Yes, Abu Bakr Kupar, inshallah. Right, okay, uh, today uh, a packed show as usual, inshallah. We'll have a uh, few more guests in the studio with us today, uh, inshallah, to talk about some very pertinent issues uh, which have been circulating around the WhatsApp scene and and uh, in the newspapers, inshallah. Uh, we're going to talk about um, a bit of a fuss around a secret visitor to to Kashmir. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to ask uh, Professor Zafar Khan and Dr. Nazir Gilani uh, what that's all about. What what was this secret visitor doing in Kashmir and why all the fuss, inshallah. That'll be our main uh, topic of discussion. We'll start that uh, shortly. So he wasn't there for fishing on the lakes then? Fishing on the lakes might have been, might have been. Could have been fly fishing or um, fishing in Yemen or whatever the, the story is. Mm. Um, okay, uh, also the second topic we're going to talk about today, and that's been, uh, I guess, circulating and trending on, on many social media items, uh, is the case of this poor uh, uh, refugee from, um, uh, from Syria who's been bullied in Hud Huddersfield. Uh, if you haven't heard of that story, uh, then perhaps you're on the wrong platform or wrong media. Uh, we'll give you all the details you need to bring you up to speed with that story, inshallah. Uh, we're going to then talk about the counter-terrorism and border security bill. Uh, liberty says um, that liberty of you, your liberty is at serious risk. So we're going to talk about that at 7 o'clock, inshallah, and we're going to give you some more details nearer the time about what that topic is about. Uh, and finally, we're going to talk about defining Islamophobia. Didn't you know what Islamophobia was? Well, if you didn't, inshallah, tune in at 7.30 and we'll tell you what it's all about. Mm. Inshallah. Okay, that's uh, what's uh, planned for today. Uh, the first topic, the topic of the uh, a secret visitor to Kashmir. Um, what is that about? So that's a story... Uh, of the former Nai, uh, Nor Norwegian Prime Minister making a secret visit uh, to uh, to Kashmir. And that set off uh, a series of rumours uh, about the possibility maybe of a, uh, a backdoor discussion, deal, arrangement of some sort happening in Kashmir, especially since the Norwegians are renowned for their mediation. Uh, if you if you've been around for a while, like I have been, you would know that Norwegians were got, were involved in negotiations between the different parties in Palestine uh, and in Sri Lanka as well. So that is probably the source of these rumours. So uh, we're going to go into that story straight away. Inshallah, we we have uh, Dr. Nazir Gilani. Uh, he is. Uh, uh, from that part of the world, uh, and he's from from Kashmir, the Indian side of Kashmir, um, and he knows uh, what actually goes on uh, that region in quite some details, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Nazir Saab. Wa alaikum assalam. 
Shukriya Ji, Jazakallah Khair for joining me today and hopefully we can have a, uh, a fruitful discussion about the topic at hand today. So the topic at hand is, is about the secret visitor uh, to Kashmir. Now I've mm-hmm. just given uh, uh, you a, basically a, a, a tantalizing few tips about what's, uh, what that is all about. Perhaps if you know the details of the story, maybe you can uh, share with our listeners what that is all about. Uh, thank you for taking me on. Uh, I think we need to be very um, patient and cautious in accepting these rumors because okay. uh, the United Nations Secretary General went to Kashmir in March 1959. Yeah, He stayed there for two days and uh, at that time Kashmir was um, separated from India and Pakistan as a separate uh, item in the tour. So it didn't include Kashmir he did not include it as part of India or part of Pakistan. So international community has been there all along because the Norwegians, um, the Philippine, Filipinos, the Cubans, and the Iraqis, the British, the um, Americans, I think we have not studied very well because most of the countries in the beginning have taken a very robust interest in Kashmir. Right, so what you're saying is this: this is this. This is no, it's not a significant event. These things have happened in the past as well, and it's not necessarily leading to anything serious. Now, I'm going to welcome Professor Zafar Khan Saab as well. He's on the line. Salam alaikum, Zafar Saab. Walaikum, Salam Ji. Welcome to Inspire FM again. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, did you make anything of this story? Did you think that this, this was significant, that it was a, a former, a longest serving Prime Minister of, of Norway, uh, Norway uh, you know, in that part of the world? Well, I, I, I just heard uh, Dr. Gilani speak. I, I didn't know he was on the program. Welcome, Dr. Gilani. I'm very pleased to hear you. Assalamu uh, sir. Yes. I, I, I mean, I, I, take, uh, I take his point fully, but I think in the current climate, it, it has some significance. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a secret visit. I, I mean, uh, I, I knew a couple of days before uh, he went, and uh, he also visited, I think, uh, Islamabad and Delhi and then Sirnagar, um, and and he met he met J, JRL leadership uh, particularly he met uh, Mir Waiz and uh, uh, Sayyid Ali Gilani uh, as Yasin Yasin Malik uh, wa, uh, was uh, in, in jail and he still is in jail. So I mean, uh, when you, when you talk when you talk about the particular context, uh, yeah. what do you, what do you mean? Are you, are you talking about the overtures from Pakistan or are you talking about the no, uprising. No, 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 no. I think uh, I, we don't know what's happening behind the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't know, and I'm sure many other people don't know uh, what is going on uh, behind the scene. But uh, uh, when I said within the current climate, I mean the very aggressive uh, and um, very aggressive uh, attitude of the uh, current Indian government. And uh, both in politics, both in diplomacy, and both, uh, and also uh, in the nature of its uh, uh, militarized violence against the population mm-hmm. in uh, in Jammu Kashmir, particularly in the Valley of Kashmir. And Dr. Gilani is much more informed on this, mm-hmm. uh, as he has relatives and, and close family mm-hmm. uh, and other links there. I mean, isn't so it, isn't it ter- I think in that context, it 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 was important uh, that that even the Indians. Uh, uh, you know, didn't object to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, isn't it true, Professor Saab, that this week um, the Indian government took away the, uh, the, the the local assembly 
and, t- and has taken the rule directly back to New Delhi. I mean, what, how how is that affecting the region? <laughs> well, okay, the, now this is this is a very serious issue, and and, and mm. Dr. Gilani is really well informed on this. But uh, I, I think they didn't take take the assembly to Delhi, but uh, uh, they imposed the uh, governor's rule, direct rule from Delhi, um, uh, a few months back. And uh, uh, I think a few days back, maybe ten days back, he, the governor, dissolved the assembly. Yeah. Uh, and that—that uh, that is what he has done, uh, because uh, uh, some political parties were uh, perhaps uh, planning a t- kind of uh, re- constituting a, a potential government. Uh, so that—that that basically is, is the background. I think. So that—that that, that essentially that essentially means you have no sort of direct governance in in the area or autonomy at all now it's, it's all from new delhi isn't it well it it was always new delhi even even when there is a locally elected uh, government they are very much subservient uh, people they they are what one calls uh, as quislings mm. uh, and although there are uh, uh, legal arrangements with india there are uh, historically but um, um, the nature of governance is very much uh, at the behest of uh, New Delhi, even at the best of the times. But uh, as things are, uh, mm. there is no assembly. There is no even a, a, you know, a facade of a, an elected uh, uh, assembly because uh, the assembly is dissolved and there is direct rule. Um, uh, and there has been a direct rule, I think, uh, uh, for a few months now, five, six months. Uh, uh, Dr. Razir, uh, perhaps you can comment on, on the implications of direct rule. Was the direct rule announcement made because the central government was about to, I guess, lose control um, and, and the people that, that they didn't want were probably likely to form government? Uh, no, basically, um, you know that um, in... Uh, December 1931, the RSS people took out a procession in Lahore right. okay. against against the Muslims of Kashmir and in favor of Maharaja of Kashmir and his army. Okay. So way back in 1931. So, so R- R- then, R- RSS is, is this new... this Pakistan, uh, yes, BJP. Uh, it's so, a parent body. So they have been trying all along to get into Kashmir. Mm-hmm. But PDP was the first political party which... Uh, asked Valley people that if you vote for us, we'll keep away the BJP from entering into Kashmir. But they didn't, did they? And no, no, no. But at the same time, they entered into a secret um, arrangement with BJP that you uh, whip up the communal vote in Jammu so that you get the majority in Jammu, we get the majority in, in the valley. Mm-hmm. And then we will have a, 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 an alliance. So they had the alliance. So PDP, for the first time in the history of Kashmir, brought in the BJP rule into Kashmir. Mm-hmm. So the BJP did use PDP so, so the fact, uh, the fact, leadership. So, so the, the fact that the now is a direct rule... Uh, it's a direct rule from Delhi. So, they didn't need to uh, dissolve the assembly, but what the mistake that they made that uh, Mahbuba Mufti, uh, I think she went to press that I have the majority, other parties are supporting me, so she sent a communication to the governor mm-hmm. that could invite us to form the government. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Sajjad on People's Conference, he also sent a message that I too have um, a majority. Could you call me to prove 
my majority. So what they did that they used this excuse to dissolve their family. Okay. But once uh, once you you submit your claim to be able to constitute a government, the governor becomes in incapacitated. He does not have the constitutional uh, authority to dissolve. So. So there is a legal issue as well, whether the dissolution is legal or it's un, uh, unlawful. But Delhi has managed Kashmir through the governor, and they have been managing it through the governor. So there is a direct rule at this point in Kashmir. So, uh, Zafar, what's, what's the implication of this? I mean, again, or for the ordinary person on the street, is it life as usual, or is it some sort of a martial law type of situation where the military is even more uh, prominent? Uh, well, you know, Zafar uh, Saab uh, recently, uh, just uh, uh, four or five weeks ago, I think Dr. Gilani, when the uh, when the British parliamentary group on Kashmir uh, um, published a report, and it it stated that there are 600,000 Indian troops in in Kashmir. Now we actually believe that there are more than that. I I personally believe that uh, at least uh, at least 700,000 uh, 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 troops. Now. Kashmir has been uh, ruled um, by these, uh, uh, you know, plethora of uh, uh, secret agencies and government agencies, as well as the military. You know, both underground and overground, Kashmir is not necessarily ruled by, uh, you know, elected people. It's ruled by by the Indian Indian mm-hmm. military presence. Indian state is ruling, and I, I think that is how the life life is continuing, and it's uh, perhaps. Uh, uh, you know, minus, if you like, uh, the facade of an elected government. Uh, in so the, uh, wasn't this government providing some some sort of a cover, civilian cover for Zafar, the activity? Can I um, sure, sure, yeah. come in uh, here to advance um, Professor's um, argument? You know why they do it? Because many um, things that they can't do through an elected government, because elected government at the end of the day, shall have to face the common Kashmiri. What they will do, for example, they will acquire the land for the Sanic people, for the Indian Army people, retired people in Kashmir. Okay. And the governor can do it very easily, secretly. Nobody would know it until the new election. Right. So this this goes back to the point where there was another, there's a move in the central government to take away the the right of the people to to retain the land. And they can do it very easily through the governor's... um, an institution because there's nobody to oversee him. So all through this period, he's free, mm-hmm. uh, lock, stock, and barrel to do whatever he likes. So they might push because the land they, that they wanted to acquire, they did it through the previous governor, but he was very strict. He did not allow them to go beyond a certain point. Mm-hmm. So I think so so, they so, took him back. So, so, so just changing the the, uh, the direction of the discussion a little bit. Um, we, if you, if you read some of the comments made by some of the opposition parties in in India, uh, you know there's noises about Kashmir basically moving away from India. Um, sounds like the government is on the ropes. Uh, this visit by the former Norwegian uh, president or prime minister uh, is adding to that kind of a view. Uh, is 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 India on the ropes in Kashmir? Are you asking me or the professor? Uh, Zafar Sahib. Yes, go ahead, sir. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, Dr. Gilani, if you want to come in... No, 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 it's okay. 
Yeah. Okay. But but uh, but I I think uh, uh, India is India is the reality is that India is not on on the ropes. Uh-huh. India India is well entrenched militarily, uh-huh. uh, and uh, there is no counterweight uh, to Indian uh, Indian uh, if you like. Uh, but, but there is an uprising, isn't it? And that uprising appears no, to be. India, yeah, I was coming to that, and the only only resistance, if you like, comes from the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is no counterweight. When I say counterweight, I mean there is no commensurate, if you like, uh, power, both uh, in terms of uh, uh, power that is prepared to stand up uh, across the across the border in Pakistan. So mm-hmm. I don't think the Indian government is on the rope. If anything, Indian government is actually encouraging this kind of uh, atmosphere because the election uh, for general election for uh, in India is only a a couple of months away, a few months away, I think in uh, in spring of uh, 2019. They are encouraging. They are encouraging a frenzy, and that is uh, that is that is suits them. And I I don't think they are on the road. Mm-hmm. Doctor Azizah, do you have a, a view on that? Um, professor is very right because you know uh, Indians have profiled the Kashmiri youth into five categories. The highest category is A++. So if you kill a Kashmiri who falls under category A++, you get 12 lakh rupees as a reward. Okay. So so if you kill two, say, two youth of uh, Kashmir and you designate them as A++, then you get, say, 25 lakh. So you sit idle for the rest of your life. You become a lakhbati, mm-hmm. a millionaire. No, but 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 is, isn't that sorry? That, this this yes. is this is not to the ordinary people, I guess. Is it uh, to law law enforcement agencies? Is it isn't it? No, no, for everybody. You know, if you uh, are in a position to help the Indians to wipe out, decimate a person who was designated as a plus plus, so they can even designate me because it involves money. There's no law, no court to adjudicate whether I did fall under that category or not. So, so back, back to the back to the, the the discussion around the former Nigerian, uh, sort of Norwegian president in that case. Then mm. it's even more significant under these circumstances that you've described mm. that that the visit is more significant in the sense that there is now or there appears to be some sort of a uh, a channel at least anyway for engagement. You know, engagement for India and Pakistan, they, it's always going on. If mm-hmm. there were no engagement, we would not have had the Kartarpur corridor. So mm-hmm. for we Kashmiris are a bit sentimental. We think possibly India and Pakistan will give up a private channel for us. It is not true. They will continue it. The mm-hmm. sovereign governments do it. So they are in communication. Had they not been, then there would not have been such a big, uh, well-planned <coughs> Um, you know, diplomatic uh, maneuver or diplomatic um, get together at Kartarpur. So yeah, they and, would and, not. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, would... I think, uh, I, I, sorry, Dr. Gilani, I think this is why Norwegian ex Prime Minister's visit uh, is more important or has uh, has importance because in such a such a violent uh, um, atmosphere against the ordinary Kashmiris, uh, a visit is is. Um, is I think it does provide a bit bit of a kind of a, a, an alternative uh, thinking um, because the sort of normal India-Pakistan channels uh, are not conducive uh, and towards the Kashmir issue at all, as Dr. Gilani quite rightly 
It's just. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. I have a point it's, here. Uh, I have a first point that uh, you know in Kashmir we had involvement of uh, Graham, we had involvement of Nimitz, we had the involvement of Dixon. So these people come and go in in Kashmir um, context because now the struggle in Kashmir is not uh, concentrated at one point. Because the common man on the street would not know who the Norwegian prime minister is. No. The people who give their lives have are remotely connected with. Yes, they will go. These are optics. Mm. Meeting JRL, meeting uh, any anybody else. Because even the JRL is not in communication with the masses. At times, it is the youth uh, without any reason. Uh, sorry, without any discipline, they are up against the Indian. Um, savagery, because the common man and the Indian army, they are at war with each other. Mm. I, I, I think yeah. that the timing is significant, though, though isn't it? I, I think both of you have mentioned uh, the Kartalpur uh, corridor uh, to allow mm. the Sikhs to sort of cross into Pakistan uh, for a religious sort of, uh, to visit the religious site. Uh, and that coming at this particular moment, coinciding with this visit, that's significant, isn't it? It's an overture. It it's been. an overture. It's an overture from Pakistan, if, but creating if, that kind if, of like. It would have been if Indians would not have killed, or they would not have continued to kill. Mm. You know, if somebody from outside comes into Kashmir and there is some relief, we will come to realize possibly India is having second thoughts. But it does not matter to Indians to kill Kashmiris because it would not in any way impact their population. But. If you go on killing Kashmiris numerically, you will be reduced to a position when India will ask you, okay, come on, let us have a referendum. Hmm. And, and, and yeah. you know, in, in Quebec, you lost the independence for two, two, uh, 2,000 votes. They didn't have enough votes. The crease hmm. did not so, vote that, for so that, that I think what, what Dr. Nazir Sabis is painting is a very pessimistic outlook. And I think that part of, part of, I guess, the... Uh, the reason for, for having this discussion is because it did sound like there's some positive outcomes. You had an overture from, from Pakistan uh, you know, to, to engage the Indian government in Kartalpur. At the uh, same uh, time, you had this visit, so it, it does... Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Dr. Nazir Angelani is not uh, pessimistic, he's, he's being realistic. Mm-hmm. A day before Kartalpur, Kashmiris, uh, Kashmiri youth were killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the day after Kartarpur, Kashmiri youth were killed. Yesterday and day before that, Kashmiri youth were killed. And in, incidentally, um, um, uh, we exchanged views, Dr. Gilani and I, on, on the day uh, after Kartarpur inauguration. And in fact, these are the very uh, sentiments that we exchanged. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I think if I remember rightly, Dr. Gilani said that uh, perhaps this... Uh, this provides uh, um, provides India a, a greater cover to to continue what it is doing in Kashmir, and I, I happen to agree with that that view because once you open channels of communication at a diplomatic level, at a highest level, when you have a prime minister of Pakistan going there, and then you know ministers of the uh, Punjab government and so on, and other high-profile personalities. Uh, admitted, uh, uh, the foreign minister of India uh, did not, uh, mm. you know, connect that uh, um, with with anything else. But you see, you create an atmosphere of uh, of amity, um, and uh, and under that cover, uh, that has not been translated in Kashmir. 
Uh, and in fact, uh, if anything, uh, uh, the Indian uh, Indian aggression or militarized aggression just goes on, and they have a huge, huge uh, number of soldiers in in uh, in, uh, in Kashmir. But, but the uh, thing is, thing is, I, I guess the point about have opening up a channel doesn't necessarily always translate into the fact that everything needs to be normalized before these channels open. The channels happen in parallel, and I guess the day-to-day life of the ordinary people uh, continue to be subjected to the sorts of things that you talk about. Uh, Well, I hope so. I I think, you see, those of us who have spent uh, our lives, uh, and Dr. Gilain and I, we we are, uh, you know, at at a stage in our lives that you know, um, no, <laughs> we've spent a very long time in this, and of course we want to see um, see uh, things change. We want to see people, uh, um, you know, exercise their rights there, and we want to see some kind of, uh, uh, if you like, relaxation. But there isn't. And if, uh, if but we even, were, even though even though the visit included uh, a visit to the Pakistani side of Kashmir as well. Yeah, well, they, he didn't go to Muzaffarabad. He, he, he met uh, uh, Azad Kashmir leadership in in Islamabad. He, he didn't go to Muzaffarabad. Uh, he met the prime president of uh, uh, Azad Kashmir and some uh, Huryat, Huryat leaders there. Uh, but you see, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, the, the point is um, there, there hasn't been any material change, significant change. If anything, it, it got worse in terms of the suffering of the people. More okay, people died. Okay. On the day, day the Kartarpur took place, and and the following day, and the day before. Right. Okay. I think we'll have to end it there, inshallah. Um, completely run out of time. Jazakallah, both of you, Professor Zafar Saab and, and Dr. Nazir Ghulani. Thank you for for your uh, for your sort of thoughtful ideas and, and discussions today. Jazakallah, assalamu alaikum. Thank you. The following program is a rerun of a previous live show. Hence. Any announcements made during the repeat may now not be applicable. Welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live with me, Safri Kabal, and Dr. Abu Bakr Kupar, who is with me today, co-hosting, inshallah. Uh, Walaikum salam. And we're going to move on to our second topic of discussion today. Now, you must have seen on social media and newspapers as well, uh, the tragic case uh, of uh, a Syrian refugee uh, family, I would say, brother and sister being bullied uh, in in Huddersfield, in a school in Huddersfield. Uh, some pictures of of, uh, uh, of the brother being being bullied and the sister being bullied were circulated on, on social media. Uh, and, and that led to, I guess, um, uh, to an outpouring of, I guess, support on the positive side, in, in one incident, you saw the worst of society and then you saw the best of society as well. So you saw basically a, a support message of, of support and donations for an appeal that was launched to help the family uh, basically uh, uh, you know, get, get into sort of better housing, a better situation. Uh, and, and that fund has now reached over £150,000. That's an amazing, amazing total. Uh, and, and you can imagine lots of support, but also uh, there have been, I guess, uh, support for the bullies as well, which is the tragic thing in this incident. Now, if you haven't, if you haven't been following the story, uh, we're going to have, uh, inshallah, somebody, a representative of, of the family, talk to us and give us some details. 
uh, and he'll be on the line with with us uh, shortly. Um, but uh, Dr. Abu Bakr, uh, did you want to sort of uh, a comment on this? Because I think this this is a this involves a school, and I think schools are your area of interest. And first of all, uh, I, I guess the question is, and I guess the question in everybody's mind is, the reason why this is significant uh, in terms of a bullying event is because it involves a refugee from Syria who ran away from the troubles in Syria and ended up you know, trying to find uh, a sanctuary, a place of peace, uh, and has ended up at the hands of some of these bullies. Now, uh, is it just a case of bullying or is there more to it? What, what, what do you think from, from what you've read and what you've heard? Well, unfortunately, the reality is, as uh, as a teacher, you will always come across bullies. It's just a sad, it's just a sad fact of the the world we live in. And children, unfortunately, you you see you see the best of of humanity in children. You really do, um, and, and that's one of the the wonderful things about working with children. I I, I can't personally imagine um, enjoying. Uh, doing any other job than the one I do, um, but sadly, often you you see some of the worst things in children, and one of the things that uh, weak-minded um, and, and and let's face it, it's not just children, but weak-minded human beings do is they looked they they look to prey on the weak to make themselves feel better, and it is one of the sad things that happens in all schools. Um, Something I must say, actually, on a positive note here. If we went back maybe even 10 years ago, I don't think we would have seen such fast action here coming to the defence of um, this Syrian lad. I really don't think we would. Um, and because there has been so much positive campaigning against Islam Islamophobia by um, things like our radio station and, and, and nationally um, by Muslims all the time saying, you know, that, you know, Islamophobia is real. It happens to us all the time. I felt, I felt, I felt um, Islamically, I felt bullied because of my faith at work mm -hmm. in uh, jobs over the last uh, uh, five or ten years. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, I'm not going to go into details and raise allegations. You know, but but, but I've left places of work uh, over things like this. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so I, I, I mean, we're going to talk about Islamophobia a bit later on, uh, about seven thirty, inshallah. Uh, but I, I just wanted to sort of uh, get your view. It's it's a finer point, and I think it's become a point of debate now whether this this was just a case of bullying or there's more to it because there is a connection. Uh, of the perpetrator or the alleged connection of the perpetrator to the far right and whether the 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 attacks took place mm. under the influence and you had the you had Tommy uh, uh, Robinson basically joining the act and, and well, you know, giving his views <laughs> known too so SubhanAllah, it's interesting that you actually bring this up I've actually just completed my um, um, I'm not trying to uh, you know uh, downplay Bullying, full stop. I'm just saying, oh, no, no. this this particular case is there's there's more of a well, racial tone to it. Well, if if you just let me finish, um, yeah. I is interesting what you're you're bringing up. You're bringing up the far far right. I've actually just today completed my um, training. Um, every year, teachers you have you have to up your uh, update your training. You have to go through. Uh, you, you do it with, with an online company. So so there's. 
there's there's things scenarios you have to read through you have to go through the training and then there's questions that you have to answer and in full it takes you about an hour to go through the training industry <laughs> enough i just completed my training today and um i gotta say actually i was quite chuffed i got a hundred percent score sure. um um but, but a lot of people aren't aware of this you know you'll be familiar and it's been quite controversial because it's one of the things that the us as a Muslim community have picked up on and we often think it's just us when we talk about prevent but it really isn't mm. a very but very, in, the, in this particular case I mean, a, interesting, very, interesting a, you mentioned that a very large a very large amount of prevent and, and also child protection training that you go through bullying no, but in, recognize, it, it, just let me finish um, uh, covering things like um, sexual exploitation but a large part of it now that you have to identify and as part of your training is the reality reality that far right extremism now is a huge problem in our country but and that the, seems the, to have failed in this particular school that's that's well, what i'm trying to make well, well, what, what you need to appreciate is is that the, the fact that there has been far right bullying in a school it doesn't mean that the school has failed this right. this, this is something you need to understand sure all right Bullying in itself, whatever it is, if 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 it's anti-Muslim or say say for example, if 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 but it's if, failed if, to if protect this young child, though, isn't it? So whatever training that was imparted to the school, the school no, no. hasn't acted on it. Right, that's not a fair comment. Okay, all right, and you you Prove need me to, wrong. <laughs> well, no, no, it, it's not a fair comment because because what you need to appreciate is is that if an act of of bullying for whatever reason happens in a school, a school can't stop an I any bullying incident happening mm. because if there is a minded child that is going to hit a child for whatever reason victimize a child that is going to happen right mm. and you need to understand that that is not the school's problem that that has happened in the school the issue is is how does the school then deal with it Mm-hmm. Once that issue has been observed, once that issue has been reported, once uh, the members of staff become aware of it, right, they then have a, a limited, uh, a, a, t- a time-sensitive window where the, the, the designated um, leaders in the school that deal with that, once it has been reported to them by the first member of staff in the school, and that could be one of the cleaners, they have to do the child protection training, it could be one of the um, um, teaching assistants, classroom teacher like myself, it could be the head teacher, whoever then is the first teacher that then um, becomes aware of that they have then a time sensitive window where that then has to be reported to the designated person in the school and it's not just one there will be three or four people and that will include the head teacher that then has to be reported to outside agencies if the child is then considered at risk and that has happened in this instance because the police have become involved <coughs> sorry but but uh, but was did that happen before from what you read, has the school followed this process? Uh, and if, if they have, then then was it their action that got the police involved or was it the action of the tens of thousands of, of people who actually responded to, to this uh, horrible event that's well, actually pushed them into sort of acting? In, in, in fairness, and, and you do need to appreciate this, Unless, unless, unless we're on the inside and we know exactly what's happened, sure. we wouldn't yeah. know. And the reason is, is because under the law, once, uh, once an issue has been reported to you, right, you are legally bound not to share it with anyone else who doesn't need to know. 
right? And this is this, and the simply the, the uh, simply because the child who is being bullied may be at further risk if you then start sharing that mm. with any random people sure. that are not going to be acting then to protect so, so that the child. School, school may have acted appropriately. Within the time frame, it's but just we that wouldn't know. Well, you wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. Other teachers in the school wouldn't know because unless they and uh, unless they are in the designated team that deal with it, right? So for ex so, for, so for example, me in my school school at Charlie Boys, Doctor Cooper. If if an issue, I've had training day to day, so so it's not relevant. But if an issue comes to me with a child, um, say on Monday when I when when I'm at work, right? I then have a, a time-sensitive window where legally I have to make sure that that issue is reported. Mm -hmm. Now, I have to then report it on the official system and then typically three to four people automatically become aware of that under the reporting system and it's, it, it's, it's done on a computer system. Those people then are instantly informed of that. So, so what, what? Now, so. it is uh, legally, I am, I am breaking the law. If I share any of that information which that child has brought to me, I'm actually breaking the law. And that issue of confidentiality is an absolute must. The reason is, is because what you need to appreciate is in terms of child protection, because it may involve racism, it, inv it, can, inv it can involve um, um, gang membership, sure. gang um, um, people um, um, preying on children, grooming them from gangs or whatever. The more people you share it with, with who don't need to know you're potentially putting that child at more risk. Sure. Okay. So, so yeah. although it's easy to to say, oh, what did the school do? Da, 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 they are legally bound. They they cannot share what the, sure. what has been shared with them but, by but the child. I, I think what we know, what we do know, is is that bullying d did take place and in, took place in school premises. Uh, and I, I guess um, the police have now been involved, whether it's you know through the school's engagement or whether it's through public pressure. Uh, and uh, and and do you know the outcome? You know what's happening to the uh, to the bully and and the child. Personally, from from what you read so far, yeah. Excuse me. Personally, I, I I'm not. I I was reading it yesterday, but mm. if there've been any further develops developments today, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. So I th I think what what's what's been reported in in some of the newspapers is the fact that I think the bully has been um, has been charged uh, with sort of. Um, uh, some offences, basically, mm. um, uh, to, uh, and um, and apparently the bully is no longer in this country and is is gone, mm. um, you know, outside of this country. I uh, mean, what I can say, I can talk to you about the procedures, right? Mm -hmm. So, in terms of the procedures, if if the child had made the issue identified to a member of staff, or if one of the other children in the school made one of the staff identified, oh, look, sir, look, miss, this is what is being shared on Facebook or Instagram, whatever the medium was, right? Legally, then, whoever the member of staff was that that had been shared with, they are they are legally bound to sure. I, okay. to report it now. So, uh, now I'm just, no, hang on, just let me explain this here because this is something schools often can get scapegoated and, and, sure. and put bad here. I would I would I would personally say it would be inconceivable that a member of staff would not report it because sure. every everyone who who looks after children, one hundred percent, you know, 
if you have been told, you need to understand that that child could then say to any other person, the police or whatever, well, oh, I told Dr. Cooper, but Dr. Cooper didn't report it. Sure. It is inconceivable that a member of staff would not report it because you know if you don't, you are legally li liable. Sure. Okay. So if a member of staff had been spoken to directly by the child or another child shared that video and said that there, there's, there is a video. I'll give you an example, right? If there is a video, say, for example, um, if, there is, if, if you are told verbally that there is a video in existence of sexual nature mm -hmm. and a child said, oh, sir, I've emailed it to you, right? A teacher, does, a teacher should not even open that video. Right. Okay. Th 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 this, this, is, this is how, this is how strict the guidelines are. So, if a teacher said to me, "Oh, sir, I've heard that there's a, there's a video going around where so and so, so and so is sharing um, sexual images, and and I've emailed that to emailed that to your to your school email," mm -hmm. the teacher should not even open that video. Right. Okay. When they know that if they if they're told that. That instantly goes to the reporting system, and that then has to be reported by the by the school's designated people, and something as serious that as that by the by the teacher directly to the police. Right. Okay. So, so, I, I, so got, I, I do have Taz Gunji, uh, who is a lawyer representing the family on the line. I just want to welcome him. Uh, Assalamualaikum, Taz. Awesome. Uh, welcome to Inspire FM. Hi. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to be here. Uh, Jazakallah, thank you very much for, for taking your time out to uh, to actually sort of talk about this uh, uh, harrowing case, I would say. Uh, we've just sent, spent about 10, 10 minutes exploring uh, what the school may or may not have done in terms of dealing with this particular uh, uh, issue. So we, we just wanted to hear, I guess, in some more details. I know lots of things have been flying around. Um, you know, in in the the social media and newspapers, etc. From yourself, just wanted to hear, you know, what was the incident, uh, and and you know, what's the situation at the moment? Well, I mean, it's difficult to speak about the incident that caused this uh, right. scenario mm -hmm. um, because a child, uh, the bully, mm -hmm. has been arrested, right, and the matter is now sub judice. So, okay. speaking mm -hmm. about it in detail could potentially. Be problematic for the um, for the criminal case, really. Right. Mm. So, what what has been released? I guess uh, are you able to talk about what has been released in the press well, so far in the, terms of video? Yeah, the, the sub judice rules mean that if you then speak about something after the matter is is sure. uh, is charged, and it becomes quite quite. Okay. Difficult. So let, let's let's talk let's talk about Jamal himself then. How how okay. is he coping? I guess with with the situation and uh, what's what's his state of mind? Well, I mean, this is um, this has been a something of a, a shock obviously he he's uh he's gone through years of bullying and children sometimes internalize that so mm. that becomes their norm it shouldn't be but mm. it's it's only when it got extreme that he 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 really uh would tell his family about it to tell your families to to mm. upset them as well he did however tell you know the school about it on every well most occasions mm. but um but yeah so when, when this whole matter blew up due to social media and the video being, you know, identifying the individuals, then he's, he and the family are all in a bit of, bit of shock. Mm. But he's a resilient young man, and, and actually the outpouring of support for him from around the world and the UK has been really quite um, helpful in terms it's of... It's been fantastic, isn't it? 150,000 plus being raised. Uh, on, well, on the... to be fair, it's, it's not the money at all. Um, the messages that, that are with the money. The that, message, that... Yeah, 
well, well, actually, it's more the emails that we've been getting okay. without any money, and mm. the other types of offers of support around helping the family, you know, with some um, work experience or going, going going to football stadiums and things like that. That that that, that is, you know, that that is people taking out their time for this family, and that is something that can never be purchased Absolutely. or replaced. Basically, Absolutely, and I guess the other thing that that's been talked about quite often, uh, I guess in the social media now, is, is the, the links of the perpetrator to the far right and, and I guess the links to, to the former EDL sort of leader, Tommy. Uh, is, I mean, what, have you have, got anything to say about that at all? Or? Well, I'd advise you didn't speak about that because okay. that may or may not be subject to right. um, the, uh, the eventual proceedings if there are any. Right. Okay. But, but there has been a video shared by Tommy. Uh, on the subject, I guess, which, which that, that much is known, I guess, isn't it? Well, Tommy Robinson is a man who um, has proven time and again that he doesn't care about the rule of law mm. or about prejudicing a trial, and he's got into trouble himself on a criminal basis because of that. So I, I wouldn't take him as my teacher on this subject, no, basically. Sure. I'd Mr. rather look at his experience and avoid it. Mr. Uncle, can I just ask, um, have, has, uh, has Jamal's school, have, have they acted to support him well? I think it's fair to say that the um, the school has many shortcomings, and if you look at the Ofsted report around the school, uh, it, it highlights shortcomings that could feed into this sort of behaviour repeatedly mm. going back many years. Mm. Um, so how, how deep that goes and how far that goes is the subject of our, our legal investigations. Um, but uh, they, they certainly were in contact with outside agencies for a period of time, Mm-hmm. And for that period of time, there was an easement in uh, an ease in uh, Jamal's condition at school. But mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there are there are no infinite resources, and so when that when when those outside bodies um, withdrew themselves, then the bullying redoubled. Uh, worse. So how, how long are, are you able to say how long this has been going on for? About a year and a half. A year and a half. Two years. A year and a half. So this is not just one one off thing then. So, so from what no. you've said, that the, the the school the school from what you've said have tried to seek help, but didn't receive the help that they were hoping for. Unfortunately, well, I'm, I'm not. Well, I'm not saying that. I mean, there were many many incidents of bullying that were reported, and as far as the Jamal's point of view is, is that you know nothing was done from his point of view. Mm. Yeah, um, and it's fairly clear that a boy who has an, a, a a cast on his arm who is then set upon within the school precincts mm. means that enough hadn't been done quite clearly to mm. stop him being set upon, really. And it's not just that. It's also the culture of it. And we see from the video that nobody intervened. Um, you know, pe- the students were maybe more interested in, in the spectacle than they were in an intervention. Mm. Um, and that speaks to a culture in that, in, in that environment. And one has to wonder, well, where, where's that culture set from? And do, do you know of any other cases, I guess, in the school of, of racism or this type of bullying at all? Yeah, we're aware of, um, well, aside from Jamal's sister, um, mm. we're aware of another, uh, but we don't know the detail around that yet. So I would imagine it would be similar and of a piece, given it's a similar age group and uh, the same parties sort of involved. Right, OK. Uh, and I guess uh, in terms of the family, uh, you know, how is... I guess, what is the situation of the family? I mean, I guess there's, there's lots of support, and I guess they're, they're taking comfort from, from people who are sending messages, in, and there are lots of, lots of messages of support. Uh, but I guess, you know, in terms of the family, 
engagement with the school, engagement with the town itself? Are, well, are they, that's, the, that's a real, that's a real, you know, question now, and and it's not a question that can be resolved uh, in the middle of an, an extreme situation like this. So we're hoping for the dust to settle, mm. really, for the family to to normalise a bit. Uh, Jamal won't be going to school um, uh, until that question has been properly thought about. And uh, and then we'll help them install themselves wherever they choose to plant new roots, maybe. Right. Mm. So so they're not they're not actually thinking about staying on in, in Huddersfield, then, are they? Or well, um, I, I think it needs examination. But the initial view is is that you know Hud- Huddersfield hasn't shown itself to be um, to be able to accommodate them in a in a welcoming manner. That's mm. certainly their experience. And so uh, the initial view is that they're looking to move away from there. Um, but we'll, we shall see. Is, I mean, is this, I guess, we talk about Huddersfield, but is Huddersfield reflective of this kind of image that has been generated because of the association, I guess, uh, with this particular case? Or is generally Huddersfield is a, is a welcoming town and everybody's... What's, are you from that, that place? or? No, I'm from London. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Huddersfield, its name is associated with it, just I would imagine, because the uh, that's the... The region, but uh, to be more specific, it's Kirklees, and um, I would imagine there are parts of Huddersfield know that that are very welcoming, and uh, and people in the north are known for their warmth of character. Sure. It's what makes it more bizarre that um, that you have areas in the north that that are the diametric opposite of that of that of that character. Mm. And I guess the sad thing might be as a result uh, of this particular incident is that that. Um, that family may choose to sort of move to to an area, uh, I guess, which is more representative of, of the Muslim population, I guess, or the Asian population. Uh, and, well, that's, and not, then, that's, and that's not that's not that's not been what the what the family have done, is it? Right. The family are from Syria, uh, yeah, sure, and yeah. they moved away from Syria because, which is a you know Muslim country, Arab people, sure. they moved away from that eventually to the West because they were being tortured. Mm. Now, what's bizarre is that they come to the West and they settle in a in a first world country, and their children have been suffering arguably more so. Uh, here than they than than they have been uh, where they come from, the children, mm-hmm. the father, and which, which is the which is the point I'm making is the fact that they've 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 gone to, into perhaps an area where uh, they had the opportunity of perhaps for a slightly different lifestyle, but they maybe they they move into more areas where they perhaps feel more at home with with some of the, the surrounding populations, I guess, isn't it? Well, it, well, is it, isn't that an indictment on an area of Kirklees where that area is more? Is is more tortuous to children than Assad has managed to do in Syria. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that's the impression, I guess. But, but it's probably not. Well, Kirkley really is not here to sort of kind of defend themselves, I guess, in that case. But um, so anyway, uh, uh, just a, a final few comments, I guess, on 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 the whole case. I think it's it's been a tragic case, and I guess uh, you know what's your involvement and what 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 are you doing actually to sort of uh, uh, support the family. Mm, well, I think uh, I've been doing what I've been doing really, which is investigating the uh, the matter, trying to get trying to get uh, records and documentation around it, and, and looking to see where all the where the uh, where the failures have been, and and, and and focusing on that part really, a to try and will, will try you be and representing the changes can be made. Will you be representing Sorry? the family in any sort of uh, criminal cases, uh, etc.? Would, would that be criminal cases? What the criminal Sorry. case against the bully? I mean. Sorry. No, no, that's not how the criminal justice system works. Uh, he, he's the victim. He doesn't have a lawyer. Sure. He, he okay. would 
potentially give his evidence. Uh, he doesn't doesn't need a lawyer for that. Right. Uh, the, the bully needs a lawyer. Uh, obviously, I'm not not going to be his. No, okay. Uh, no. Worries. Okay. Right. Okay. I've run out of time. Thank you very much for your your. Uh Update on, on the situation for us. Jazakallah had Taz uh, for joining us today. Thank you uh, for we're your run, good work running out of time. Uh, we'll uh, have to Jamal take, Taz. Yeah, we'll have to take a short break, inshallah. Jazakallah no. The following program is a rerun of a previous live show. Hence, any announcements made during the repeat may now not be applicable. Welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live. Uh, it's me with me, Zafar Iqbal, Dr. Abu Bakr Cooper, and now uh, we're joined by Sister Rihanna. Assalamualaikum, Sister Rihanna. Walaikum salam. Jazakallah, all of you, for joining me today. Inshallah, to keep, keep me busy and keep me on my toes. Inshallah. Uh, we were talking before the break uh, about this tragic case uh, of bullying of a young Syrian refugee in Huddersfield, uh, uh, a young Jamal and his sister, inshallah. We had, we had a conversation with Taz Akunji, uh, the lawyer representing the family, and he was able to give us some information, although uh, he, what he said basically was uh, a lot of the details now can't be talked about openly because of subjudice uh, laws, etc., because the, the bully is now uh, has been charged uh, with an offence. Uh, but he was able to give us some information regarding how the family and Jamal was feeling. Uh, and he was able to tell us that, that this bullying has been going on for a year and a half. It's not a new incident. And then he wasn't able to talk about the key thing we wanted to establish, which was whether this case uh, was motivated by uh, the uh, far right uh, and whether there's a link between this case and the far right or not. Uh, anyway, inshallah... Um, and also, I guess before that, we talked about Kashmir and, and the rumours uh, about secret mediation, I guess, happening in Kashmir for, uh, by the former Norwegian uh, Prime Minister. Um, and we're going to move on now to a very technical uh, topic, and, but a topic that's really, really, uh, I guess, pertinent and has a lot of impact uh, on your freedoms, I guess. And, and in my introduction, I said we're going to talk to uh, liberty about your liberties, I guess, and that was my my punchline uh, before we started. Inshallah, <laughs> at least I bought a, a smile from Sister Rihanna. <laughs> is that the best we? <laughs> well, there you go. That's a level. That's that's a level we've stooped to because since I took over, yeah. So yeah. there you go. Bro- bro- brother um, Abu Bakr just is rolling his eyeballs. So I mean, you know. <laughs> I don't know what that says about I'm that. I'm trying. Joke. <laughs> I'm trying. What can I say? Right. Okay. So, so we have Sister Rihanna, who, who's uh, I guess representing LCM and SCM, who have actually issued a press release um, and a response, I guess, uh, to some concerns that were raised about the counterterrorism bill, which is going through its, uh, I guess, review in the Houses of Lords. Um, and uh, so, so LCM, SCM have, have got a position on this, uh, along with with the MCB, the Muslim Council of Britain. Uh, so, without me reading out the press statement, I'm just going to talk to somebody who wrote it. Inshallah, All right, Sister Rihanna, we can. I, actually... I, I can't take full credit for it, but um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to sort of outline yeah, some sure. of our concerns. And actually, they are. Not just concerns from us. I mean, you've mentioned Liberty and the uh, Muslim Council of Britain, but I think roundly, um, 
all kind of civil rights organisations, regardless of race, religion and all of those sort of allegiances, um, are concerned about this bill and, um, in our opinion, rightly so. Um, there's there's a number of things. I've got it up, actually, because there's, there's so so many things about it that are, mm. are worrying. Um, we've all spoken on this programme many, many times about our concerns, sure. um, about how lots of the... Um, Counterterrorism, counter-extremism uh, laws and the prevent agenda um, disproportionately impact um, our community. That's not an opinion. That's that's just a subject, an objective fact, an objective reality. Um, and we think that lots of these rules um, are are going to um, greater that negative impact, not just on us, but on on lots of different people. Um, I mean, some examples of how it's going to do that. Sure. So yeah, yeah. Um, previously, when you were on the Internet, um, there was a kind of a loose sort of three click rule. So if you click on material um, that is deemed extremist, kind of three clicks and that, you know, the government was saying, well, that's going to give us an idea that you're trying to access this material for, um, let's sh shall we say, possibly for criminal reasons. To be fair... I find that a bit of a challenge. Well, do not worries me most. I'm actually reading. I'm actually reading the Liberty Summary now, and what yeah. worries me the most, it does not give any definition whatsoever. <laughs> what is deemed to be the information that you should not be seeking. Mm. Now that is very worrying. Yeah. And the, the, the first one here, it says, creates new offences that criminalise information seeking, but it doesn't say what the information should not be, mm -hmm. and the expression of opinion, and here's the key part, divorced from intention yep. or harm uh, or, or, to, or to harm any yep. in the pursuit of an act of terrorism. So what's, what it means so the, is, so what it means yeah. is, it, it, they don't, they don't, you haven't got to have an intention to do anything with the information. It's just that if if just by just just by accidentally by coincidence, right? And this is what worries me, right? Because Shake Google, right, comes up with all sorts of things when you do a search. Just by chance, if one of the like oh the ninety ninth thing that comes up in the search, if you were to click on it and it was one of the dodgy things that they don't like, which here they don't define. Oops. Mm. Oops. But, but, yes, so... I, you've I just guess, correct... I guess you, what, what if, this, if this bill has passed, you've committed a criminal offence. And right. they don't even define what you shouldn't be looking at. Right, so I, I think we we'll probably need to, to try and get a, a bit more of a context, right? Have I topic. misunderstood that, by the way? No, you have, I think you've given us a valid uh, example, yeah. but we probably need a but bit more what, of a broader context. Yeah, so there. I suppose what they're saying is that if you view extremist material, yeah. um, and even that... Even this idea of what is deemed extremist is fairly well fluid. Well, it's not. It's not okay. established. So we don't no, really. If, if it is yeah. well established, yeah. We don't. We don't. We don't have definitions around what is extremism, which which but, is a lot of the which is the problem with lots of this kind of yeah. legislation because this is really subjective. Um, I mean, it was interesting. We were having a conversation yesterday about. Um, so the average person who knows nothing about uh, Islam, if you're talking about the niqab being a valid Islamic opinion, that's extremism to the average English person. Mm. Now, 100% I know that because I have these conversations. I mean, in, in fairness, I, I don't think that they would be talking about that kind of thing. But, but let's the, say, but, for but example... But the point is, 
where is it defined? Yeah. Where, where no, are they crystallizing? This is an important the, point, Where is yeah. the crystallizing definition? Yep. What is extremism? This is. is this is what is so worrying it is. here. Um, it's like, oh, we don't like you. Okay, so that's it. You're an extremism. Oh, and the next thing is, oh, the police don't have to say say you're right, doing okay, something so bad so now. I, I, Your local council can now say, and right. they can refer you now. Did you right, know that? I, I, I guess, guess. So now the council can refer you. So you might go in the council. You come out with some language because you yeah, get I, upset, I, I think, and the I council not dealing with you nicely when you go to well, the, the. The council have all, always been able yeah. to refer us because we've, they're a we've, statutory we've, body. I think. I think uh, we, we've talked about some cases which which sound frightening, right, from from, from the uh, face of it. But I, I guess. Uh, just to balance the argument, I think government has got a, a job in its oh, hand, no. right, in dealing with uh, cases of, of uh, I guess, no, extremism no. from the far right and also from, from yes. I guess, some elements well, of says, This is what it says here. Can Ex- I, can extends I the prevent strategy by allowing local authorities as well as police to refer individuals to channel panels. Right. So that's, okay. that's, saying that, that's saying that the local authority wasn't allowed to do that before, but they will be now. Right. Okay. So can I can I bring in uh, Anas Al Gorbuzi from from Make Cage? Sure you pay, uh, make sure you pay. Inshallah. Assalamualaikum, Anas. Waalaikumsalam. Uh, d- d- Alhamdulillah. for joining us today. Uh, perhaps we we've just started having a discussion around the the uh, the counter terrorism and border security bill, uh, and and I think we we launched straight into sort of trying to give some examples of where we think it's problematic. Uh, but I, I guess I wonder, I'm just wondering if you can give us a little bit of a context, starting off with with what is this bill and what is its intention, uh, and, and then talk about some of the areas uh, which are going to, I guess, support the, uh, uh, the the protection of society, as opposed to sort of some of the areas where you think there there are going to be there's going to be some cases of maybe justice not being served um, properly. So if you can start off by, by giving us a, a, as a context sure. around this bill, please. Sure, Bismillah rahim I mean, um, initially, the, the context that this law comes in uh, is, is a context of where we've been experiencing for the last 15 or so years a new piece of counterterrorism legislation each year. Mm-hmm. So the government each year comes back to us and says that it has to justify new powers, new laws, and essentially what we're seeing, we're seeing erosion of people's human rights, a kind of deformation of the legal justice system, you know. But, uh, but I mean, I, I mean you, you would have that view, I guess, from, from, a, uh, from one perspective. I guess the government's perspective would be that they're trying to, uh, they're trying to sort of secure uh, society, I guess, from threats. And, and I guess that would be the, the prime... <laughs> prime sort of uh, intention behind it, right? I mean, one, 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 of the, one of the clear, obvious examples there is like uh, when it comes to the Adam Alajo case, which is Lee Rigby, yeah. a terror case, but he was charged on the regular kind of criminal, criminal right. law. So what, I'm trying to, what we're trying to say here is that the government always comes back to us with the same rhetoric, saying that it needs more powers, it needs more laws, right. it needs more abilities to kind of prosecute people and move the goalposts in order to prosecute more or to refer more to prevent. So this is the context that it comes in. And all of these laws, each time when they come, when they propose through Parliament, we end up having this, you know, project fear about, you know, these kind of extremists lurking in the corners in our schools, in, mm. our, in our societies, and that we need to kind of you know, um, uh, go after them and, and all this rhetoric which kind of like pumps up this kind of uh, sense of tension in society and also, also and, I, and we would argue Islamophobia in society as well because, you know, this month is Islamophobia Awareness Month, it ends, it ends today, it's the whole month mm-hmm. of November. And we've been highlighting how these kind of laws and policies do alienate Muslims, do scrutinize, you know, scrutinize the narratives around Muslims so that the only time you speak about Islam Muslims in the public sphere is through 
you know, security-led counterterrorism policy. Yeah. However, with this particular with this particular bill, it's nothing. I mean, it's not it's not remarkable in the sense that it's coming up with something you know afresh. But what it does, it builds upon existing counterterrorism legislation, but it just bolsters those existing laws. For example, extending uh, uh, sentences for for offences, which are glorifications, and it means like people, you know, if you saw something online or downloaded a pamphlet or a booklet from from some sort of, you know, what the government considers to be of use for, 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 for terrorist activities, then, you know, they've increased the, 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 the sentences for those kind of crimes. Mm-hmm. Things like no-go zones, which we, which we, which we believe will affect uh, um, aid workers, you know, saying that anyone in this particular area, of, uh, area will be, you know, at risk of prosecution just by virtue of being there. Also, you know, like things like, you know, the local authorities being given powers to refer people to prevent. And, you know, there's, you know the, the, the opposition to prevent is, 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 is really broad. And what's, what's more clear with this bill is that there are MPs uh, from the Labour Party, from the Lib Dems. There are human rights organisations, the ones that we all know in the mainstream. They're all opposing this bill because they feel that it goes too far in what it's trying to achieve. And for us, we would argue that, you know, we've had enough. If the government all the time new laws, new laws, then we need to actually re-examine the problem. We can't really, you know, legislate ourselves out of these issues. We need to consider the root causes of whatever the, the violence that we're seeing on the streets and the kind of extremism and the, you know, the, the kind of Islamophobia that people are facing. They, they're saying far right, you know, that sometimes it's used as an excuse to kind of, uh, 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 you know, strengthen, prevent powers. So, so we just need to kind of revisit these things, you know. So, so what, 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 I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to. I mean, you highlighted some of the areas of your concern. Perhaps we will yeah. we'll visit a few of those those instances that you've highlighted in your in your reports, etc. But what are you calling for? Are you calling for withdrawal of this bill or modification of this bill or what? What is your what is your case? I mean, our case that is that the government doesn't really have much of a case when it comes to when it comes to this particular law, as as with as with the majority of counterterrorism laws that have come over the last fifteen years. I mean, there there isn't what they what the counterterrorism laws what what they do is they enable the state to prosecute people on issues which you know traditionally wouldn't necessarily be offences, like for example, reading something, downloading a PDF, mm. watching a video. I mean, in, in, in non-emergency type times that we live in, they wouldn't be considered as, 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 as offences. And Mark, uh, Max Hill, the previous uh, counterterrorism law reviewer, watchdog for, for the government, he actually said that we need to start moving away from having counterterrorism laws because it, it, you're essentially institutionalizing an emergency kind of law. And that's, that's the issue at the crux of all terrorism legislation. We can deal with issues of violence, issues where communities feel anxiety about particular groups uh, outside the framework of this kind of securitized narratives that are problematic for our community. So I, I guess the the, the the government's view would be that that's all fine. We do have laws to deal with cases of of, of uh, cases where law has has been broken and, and and you know they can deal with it. But I guess this is trying to catch uh, the the potential um, potential for actually commit, commitment of crimes in its early stages. I mean, I'll give you examples. This, sure. okay, this law, one of the things they, they propose is a three-kill crew. I mean, you watch something three times, then that's, therefore that, you know, you're, you're liable for prosecution. On revision, they change that to one click. So now as soon as you see something online, the government can prosecute. Right. Uh, stuff like, you know, as I mentioned, the no-go zones. Stuff like giving powers to local authorities to... to so so to expand on no-go zones. What, what's, what's that about then? What, what's, what's a no-go zone? A copy-paste from, from the Australian law book. 
Uh, and you know how hostile Australia is, especially when it comes to its laws to deal with, with, with its Muslim minority. Um, well, we haven't so got anybody from Australia to actually defend, them, defend themselves, yeah, but... It's something that is well, well known and it's well documented. But regardless, I mean, uh, the, the, the law basically says that if you are in a particular area yeah. uh, that the government designates as a no-go zone, then essentially you're liable for a terrorism conviction. One of the other things that this law brings in is uh, expansion of Schedule 7 powers. You know, that ten, you know, uh, Stop over 10,000 people, yeah, over, over 10, people are stopped each year. You know, holiday makers essentially stop, question for up to six hours for no crime, no suspicion needed for the stop. Now what they're doing, they're extending the definition slightly and they're saying we can stop people now under a looser definition of hostile acts. Hmm. And I mean... I mean, essentially, just just making whatever they have right now, broadening those kind of definitions, broadening the scope of the, of, of their powers. So we we say, if the if the powers are current, mm. if, if if our communities are saying they have issues with them, the human rights organisations come in and saying they go too far, then why does the government feel the need to extend it? You know, they don't they don't necessarily have a case, and the case is always you know they just use the same rhetoric. You know, national security. We need to keep people safe, and it, it feels like it's just you know a card that they bring up every okay. time they start. All right. So, so I think in some, in, I think in summary, what you're saying is is the laws that are there at the moment are adequate, uh, and this is basically putting. Uh, more, I guess, lives of, of more lives at risk by accidental prosecution, effectively. Uh, I'm interested to, to find out, I guess, uh, from Sister Rihanna, who's in the studio as well. Uh, you've actually written, uh, and there's been a press release from, from the local sort of Luton Council of Mosque and SCM uh, in support uh, of some of these things that have been, been raised. Uh, what, what, what is the position of LCM SCM on this? So, so essentially, we're supporting the, the position um, put forward by Liberty. Um, and raised our concerns about the the bill. I'm just going to go back on some of the things, that, some of the really important points that the brother made there, because he's absolutely right. Um, Max Hill, the independent reviewer of terrorism, when he was, I, I don't think his post has been refilled now, but was, when he was in the post, he he said that we didn't use terror laws. And I think actually he even suggested that many of the ones that we had sort of passed previously had sort of just been things that we'd done in haste because we needed to be seen to be dealing with the problem. Um, aside from all of those points that the brother raised about the the impact on civil liberties um, that this, this bill kind of introduces and, and the, the worsening of that impact, you know, the Schedule 7, um, you know, we already know that if you're a British Asian, you're much more likely to be stopped at the airport than your um, white counterparts. And we also know actually from our history of stop and search that actually um, uh, sort of policing which is uh, motivated by or, or is racialized and policing is racialized, that impact of that is, is negative. So what we're having perhaps here are laws that are being introduced that are going to exacerbate a problem which it's trying to or, or is purporting to fix. The brother said something really important and I think I'm going to go back on that and I think essentially this is what we are trying to say and have been trying to say for a long time and it, it is that we don't need more laws because we cannot legislate ourselves out of the predicament that we have got ourselves into um, and that we do really need to think about what we're doing here. I think increasingly what these laws do are create an, an even more hostile environment 
Yeah. Where we're getting these polarized opinions, where yeah. people are just well, good or bad. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right because I've been sitting here while you were both talking, and I've been reading through Liberty's thing. Let's face it: good policing it works because the community where the criminals are. You need to make connections with. We, we've had John Boucher in here, and he said this himself. Now, if they want to make connections with the Muslim community so that the good Muslims um, can help find the people that are doing the bad things, they need to. We need to feel confidence that we're not going to be victimised. This, is, I am not exaggerating. <laughs> you read this on the Liberty website; it is scary. Mm. So we, think, th- th- that's know, what I'm trying to get at. I mean, is, yeah. is, is it being a case detained, of being scared? Being detained under under Section Seven with no suspicion whatsoever. That's that's literally what it says. And they want to expand those powers. And um, well, what I am saying is that actually these laws are are exacerbating that polarisation that we are seeing played out um, in our streets and, and that, that's causing some of the problems that it seeks to address. You, you made a point there about actually the police developing relationships with the community so the good ones can support. I'm going to say something perhaps a little bit controversial and say there are very few bad ones. Mm. And actually, by changing the way that we talk about this, by changing the environment in which these discussions are having, maybe even those, even those who perhaps do have malintentions, that do have bad feelings, who are being pulled in towards a certain negative rhetoric, perhaps we could even find a way to make them feel as if, you know, we, we, we know lots of this is driven by marginalisation, is driven by, you know, kind of feeling negative about the, you know, the country that we're living in, um, about not feeling this sense of belonging. These are the things that the governments themselves often say is driving this. So how do we change that? Mm. Do we change it by saying, actually, we're going to stop more of you? You know, we're going to, we are going to, you know, um, we're going to infringe on your civil liberties even more. Or do we say, actually... You know, and this might sound like fluffy stuff, but but I, I don't think it is. Actually, what we're going to do is we are going to try and create a really inclusive environment in this country. Um, and I, and actually, I don't think it's going to be counter-terror laws that change the landscape of this country. If the will is there, then this will be about social and economic policy to change this. It's about, it's about justice, I guess, uh, at the end of the day. Uh, OK, uh, and that's... Uh, um just sort of clarifying some of some of the points that, that you raised earlier on. I'm really interested in this point about the no-go areas because I don't think I got it. Uh, I, I want to get a drill down on that. So what what is, is that saying that if you if you come from a particular area no. and and you do you do a particular act, you're automatically under suspicion, no. or what is it saying? I mean, the government. I mean, the the, uh, the government. What they're trying to do here is. Uh, Solve the question which they refer to as, as returnees, right? All right, so they're okay. Saying, so they're saying uh, people who've gone to certain um, right, okay. zones, for example, right, um, okay. we can't necessarily prosecute them because we don't have enough evidence. Right. So not having enough evidence in any other situation means that obviously you're, you haven't broken the law. But in that situation, you say, well, not having enough evidence is not, is not good enough of an answer. So therefore, you, by virtue of being there, You've basically broken the right. law. So, so, so basically, this is saying that if if you've been to like place like Syria or uh, 
or some I mean, other. At, at the moment, I mean, the old, I think I can only think of the Australian example. I'm not sure if any other governments have a similar policy. Right. But for them, they've designated, um, like for example, northern Syria as as a no-go zone. So anyone who's in that area is like is basically um, they they would be prosecuted under under their terrorism laws. Right. Okay. So, so that that's how they that's how they frame it. And I and I um, Lord Anderson, who's all the previous. Um, um, review of the government terrorism law. He, he raised a number of issues about about this in, in, in the debate in, in, in the House of Lords about this particular aspect. But the government didn't seem to kind of take his his criticisms uh, um, uh, on board. So, so would that also apply to perhaps the people who who've gone from this country and are fighting with the Kurds? Uh, um, so, some of the yeah, sort of would they apply to them as well? I mean, it would, it would. I mean, naturally, you'd assume that it'd be blanket. But as we know from from our experience, the people that tend to be impacted most by terrorism uh, laws are, are the you know Muslim communities, and um, it's not necessarily issues just about about fighting. It makes it makes aid work that much more difficult. It's already volatile and and hard to come to get to these areas. Now, when the government offers arbitrarily just places a blanket, they're saying everyone, anyone who goes here by virtue is, is, is a terrorist. And that's that's really problematic. Uh, we can't. I mean, people need to be prosecuted for crimes they committed, and the state needs to be able to prove that. Magistrate, uh, can, can I just bring in? I've, I've just we've just managed to get hold of Yasin Patel. He's is is uh, basically a criminal defence lawyer. Uh, I just want to get his view. Uh, I guess a different view uh, on this legislation. Uh, Islam Yasin. Right, uh, we've only got a few minutes left, left unfortunately. We managed to get hold of you uh, quite, quite late. In fact, we've got about a minute or so. So if you could just give us a quick view of, of this bill and, and what you think about it. Well, um, I think the Muslim community should be very concerned in relation to the bill. Uh, sure. The clauses themselves um, go a lot further than the current legislation they have. Um, to give a quick overview in terms of the kind of things that are being put forward, um, one can have an expression or inquiry and you could be criminalized in terms of your thoughts and processes mm. just for having an idea. And rather than having uh, what used to be a very tough test, which was intent, i.e. an intention to do something wrong, one could have here what's called recklessness. Right. Um, well, yes, I, I think, do you mind actually hanging on for about five minutes or so, right, while we could take a break? We'll have to bring no, you no back on. Inshallah, yeah. I think we're going to have to yeah. take a short break. Uh, inshallah, and we'll come back. This is a, a really important topic, and we want to really get to the bottom of, uh, of all the issues, inshallah. So, so, just going to take a short break. We'll be back uh, after. The following program is a rerun of a previous live show. Hence, any announcements made during the repeat may now not be applicable. Assalamualaikum, welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live uh, with me, Zafar Iqbal. Uh, before the call, we were having a discussion with, with Yasin Patel. Uh, he's a criminal defense lawyer uh, from London, and he was uh, giving us his view uh, on this new counterterrorism and border security bill, which is going through a review process at the moment. Assalamualaikum, uh, welcome back, uh, Yasin. Uh, can you just carry on from where you left off in terms of what your, your thoughts are about this, this bill and where the risks are? Well, what this bill does is it takes the current legislation further than where we currently are. So if I give you some headline examples, sure. um, just before the break, we were talking about uh, Clause 1 of the bill. Yeah. 
And that is effectively criminalization of expression. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is um, it removes the requirement of intent. And instead of that, it replaces it with recklessness. Right. And so to give a very simple example, if you have thoughts or processes which may not um, align with the powers that be, then you may be effectively doing something which may be against the law. Now, when I say that, if I give you an example, mm-hmm. um, one might be an imam at the mosque. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one can understand if someone's speaking in public and says something which is against the law itself, then the law currently, as it stands, has criminal provisions to charge a person with that. However, if an imam is going to be saying something, which, although is not criminal per se, but is something which is questioning um, what is being done out there by the authorities or what's mm-hmm. being done on the war against terror, yep. then he could be found to be, in effect, um, going against that which is uh, against the will of the people, so to speak, and he could be criminalizing himself because of his expression. Right. In, in that case there. Like I've already said, the criminal law already addresses those who provide support for terrorism right. or for any prescribed organization. But this could be going further. A second factor might be, say there is a prescribed organization, mm-hmm. and you are speaking up in relation to de-prescribing. De- mm-hmm. Well, in that case, does that mean that you're speaking up against, um, in effect, what would be the clause? And right. therefore, would you be criminalizing yourself? And it goes very much against Article 10 of the European Convention of Human Rights, which is freedom of expression. Mm. And so what they're doing is, in effect, they'll be criminalizing someone's thoughts right. and someone's ideas. So that's one area of the bill I'd be very concerned about mm-hmm. if I was uh, a person in local communities. Right, so, so I guess yeah. it's a similar theme that's coming up uh, over and over again is, is that the law is moving much more away from, from criminal acts to criminal thought uh, and criminalizing thought, which I think borders around, I guess, freedom of expression and liberty, etc., which I think many people will sort of uh, have issues with. Um, so um, is that the only play uh, area? or I mean, what, we, we talk about these cases, and I guess, you know, uh, the, 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 the ordinary person would be thinking, well, okay, you... You've told of these cases where potentially the law could be, uh, uh, you know, uh, could, I guess could be used in excess, uh, I guess. But what is the ordinary person meant to do in this particular situation now? What, what, what can be done? Is there any public input into this review process or what? Well, ultimately, it's going through a reading at the House of Lords. And on the 3rd of December right. is when they're supposed to be going to the report stage. Right. And so the very first thing everyone could do if they were, had concerns, and it does affect everyone, and in particular the Muslim community, and yeah. without me wishing to break it down into race matters, yeah. non-white communities, because if one looks at the stop and search, yeah. uh, as it currently stands, it's black people that are criminalized. They're the ones who stop mostly. Mm. If one looks at terrorism offenses and terrorism arrests, etc., well, once again, people don't have to be professors or doctors to work out which race and which community in particular are being stopped and arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can break it down to the Asian and the black community, and then if one were to break it down in terms of religious uh, masses, then it's Muslim community. And so what people can do is several fold. Firstly, it's their local MPs. 
Mm -hmm. uh, your members of parliament are voted in by you. They're there to, they're elected by the local representatives. So tell them, tell them exactly how mm. you feel about this matter. Your, your, point, on this, your point on this is spot on. I'm now reading from um, Liberty's um, um, uh, reply to the, the bill going through. And on section 36, they say clause 20 gives effect to schedule 3, which creates new power to question or detain any person in a port or border area or any person taking a domestic or international flight, quote, so this is from the bill, for the purpose of determining whether the, a person appears to be a person who is or has been engaged in hostile activity, just on your appearance. So how you're dressed, whether the... what. what we know racism exists. What if the person looking at you as racist and doesn't like your skin colour or something about you, the way you, the colour of your hair, whether it's braided? It. Uh, this is one of the scariest things I have ever read. Hmm. So uh, I think what, what one point. Uh, uh, what's being said there in terms of that and hostile activity? Hmm. Someone, if you were to say to someone hostile activity, you would have a vast range of. Um, answers from people. Mm -hmm. But if you were to ask what hostile activity is in terms of national security, well, you're now opening up a net that could be absolutely anything. But the word, but the word, the key word is appears. So it just, so they just look at it and say, oh, he might be, so let's, let's stop him, let's stop her. Yeah, yeah I don't like their appearance. The, the word is appear. It, it, the, the word evidence isn't here. Hmm. There's, there's, there's no basis for the suspicion. There's no basis for suspicion. The word is appears. What would concern me is effectively a person need not be aware of any activity um, which they're engaging, which could be caught up in this. So, for example, they may yeah. have been involved in past business ventures or alternatively could have been involved in um, negotiating a deal. Um, but if it doesn't, uh, if it comes to a financial disadvantage to the United Kingdom, if there was any doing at the other end initially, then this person without any knowledge could effectively have been caught up in what is a hostile activity against the state of this country. Mm. Well, that in itself should worry a person. But further than that is, if you were then arrested in relation to this, then you would have the right to consult a solicitor but it would be within the sight and hearing of an officer. So that then interferes with your personal right to private and confidential legal advice. Mm -hmm. Now, people a lot older than me will tell you that one of the safety nets that we introduced... In oh, well, actually, brother... That, that, ...1984 pace... But they put there's there's a little get out clause because they say there's no right to consult a solicitor if a person is examined in question for under an hour. Well, but, but here's but here's the issue, brother. Listen to this. The bill is explicit that its broad powers can be justified, quote, whether or not there are grounds for suspecting that a person is or has been engaged in hostile activity. No grounds for suspicion. Yeah, but I think um, it, it, it's a word hostile activity that people have got to pay attention to. Mm. If you do not know what it stands for, and how do you know what you are doing is hostile, active 
uh, activity in the sense of that sentence. But, but, okay. but, but, brother, but the point is, it doesn't matter whether you understand, because look, it's weighted totally against every member of the public because it says whether or not there are grounds for suspecting that the person is being engaged in hostile activity. So it doesn't matter if there are grounds there. It doesn't matter whether there are not grounds there. It says, this is from their bill, whether or not there are grounds for suspecting that the person is or has been engaged in hostile activity. So they don't need evidence. They don't need anything. They right. just look at you and they think, all right, we'll randomly try him. Okay, I, we'll I, randomly I, try yeah, him. I, I think we're going to have to draw this discussion to a conclusion because we're running into the next section of the programme. Uh, uh, Dr. Yassim, Jazakallah, thank you very much uh, for you, sharing brother. your expertise with us today. So, Jazakallah for that. Uh, and, and thank you very much. Assalamu uh, alaikum. And I, I, guess, I guess there are, the, the, the main message, I guess, from the discussion really is that there are things in there which, which can be construed as being uh, quite against the, the freedoms of, of individuals, in particular. I guess if you if you uh, fall within uh, a particular section of the of the community, uh, and and the time to act is now in terms of trying to uh, redress some of these weaknesses within the bill which have been highlighted uh, in our discussions today. Right. Okay. We're going to move on to our next topic uh, of discussion, uh, and and this is uh, about the definition of uh, what constitutes uh, Islamophobia. Uh, now. Uh, I, I guess from a layman like me, uh, I guess Islamophobia has been defined and has been defined for quite some time and uh, why it needs redefining, I guess, uh, which is something that, that we need to talk about. And I think this is something that has been raised by Muslim Council of Britain. Um, uh, and can I just say something? Yes. Yes. I think this bill defines Islamophobia. This bill is Islamophobia. Right, okay, that's, that's a hit point. This, bi <laughs> this bill right. is Islamophobia. Right. So listeners, everywhere you're listening to us in the country, uh, pick up on this. Yeah, we're going to talk about Islamophobia. But uh, if you want to read it in detail, look on the Liberty website. This bill is Islamophobia, right. I think. Okay. So can I, I just, just want to bring in Sister Rihanna again. Yeah. I think you, you've been... Uh, be involved in discussions around this yeah. in terms of Islamophobia uh, and I guess the, the definition of Islamophobia why there is a need and, and uh, I, I guess I guess you know wasn't the original definition not good enough well there, there has been no definition of Islamophobia right. okay. um, and actually I, d I don't think it was needed as such mm -hmm. um, I think we know it when we see it I think but, it is now but but I think but I think the issue was is that we Whenever we try and talk about tackling it, you always get, well, but what is it? What mm. is it, Islamophobia? And actually, it's quite unique to Islamophobia because yeah. if I, and you know, you'll have all that kind of debate around the word phobia. And it's, and it's not an ideal world, word, mm. but when I say homophobia, we all know what that means, don't we? Mm. Yeah. We all know what it means. But um, because of this persistent challenge, I think um, the APPG, um, supported by lots of organisations, including ones that I'm involved in, have come out to support this new definition. I don't think it's perfect. I think the people who have written it don't think it's perfect. But what, what we're trying to say is, right, here it is. Now can we move on? What is it then? 
So the uh, definition is is um, Islamophobia. I, I'm going to just I, I might I might um, <laughs> I might get it slightly wrong, but yeah. Islamophobia is uh, rooted in racism. It is a type of racism, right. um, and it attacks expressions of Muslimness or right, something okay. along so, those so lines. I guess Somebody key, will find it and possibly yeah, ring up or text I guess us the, with the it. Key, key distinction being it's not here, always it, it's not always right. right it's no, not the, always the key, uh, key distinction is is that. Uh, Whereas the original term, I guess, uh, linked you to to the the religion and religious belief, um, now the new term is actually says, well, actually, uh, what you're expressing uh, is actually racism, but you're actually doing it in, under, through the lens of yep. Islamophobia, and it's trying to link Islamophobia with racism, and and it's an act against people rather than than than, than a belief, effectively. Yeah. So, so whether people agree or disagree with the definition mm -hmm. what is unquestionable yeah. um, and I've spent a lot of time uh, talking to academics I've spent a lot of time talking to victims um, what is unquestionable is that it it manifests itself in the same way as racism it functions in the same way as racism yeah. and its impact is the same as racism uh, and um, we've seen this in many not cases always, though I I, no, 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 we, we I, have we have seen it in cases. That, but, uh, but, but that's what I'm but, trying but, but, to get as across. A white man, where, where, yeah. where does that where does that where does that put the issue for people like me? I'll tell you what it puts it. Nearly what 52 a, so, years old, been Muslim since yep. I was 25. I've suffered Islamophobia. I've I, I've had to leave I've had to leave places of work in the past, of including the un, the including um, including this town. Of course. So what we're what I'm what I am saying is is that or what we are saying is this is race is not a biological reality, mm. is it? It's a social construct and as muslims white black brown there has been created a kind of a, a racialized we've become a racialized category just as look it's not a new thing um when we say use the term anti-semitism mm. we know that that's talking about racism directed at jews Correct. and, and considering Correct. jews as a racial group now we know that not all jews are semites but people who try to make that argument are really kind of making it to evade the the, the sort of the real mm. discussion so yes all muslims are don't look the same but actually um when the attack the attack uh, comes it's because of all of those characteristics that are being attached to our muslimness hence right. hence the use in the definition so, so, so it's, it's it's a person it's a person specific rather than a, a belief specific but the, the the key thing is there is hate behind it there is a hate well, it, behind well, no, it it is uh, it is belief specific it is belief specific because you're not going to you're not going to get an English people a English person hating me because I'm English. No, but what, what the point I'm trying to make. But so is the point is hatred directed directly to me is only going to be faith based. Yeah, right, but what what it is it's based on a a caricature of what it means to be a Muslim. Right, and okay. all of those negative things that are thrown at us for being a Muslim, and they'll use faith and belief, and it you know they can construct it in that. And actually, I always say look, a lot of the discussion around Islamophobia, we talk about it in in terms of hate crime. We talk about it in terms of you know kind of these thugs on the street, and we think of people like you know um, Stephen Yaxley Lennon, you know our our local um, young friend. Um, we think of people like that. Racism doesn't start with people like, hmm. I mean, he's, he's riding on somebody else's coattails. Racism starts top down, hmm. not bottom up. And so this is about 
um, ideas that are created and laws that are created mm. at government level and beyond that problem problematize Muslims. Um, and this is what I think this definition is trying to get at, at right. the problemati- problematization so, so we, uh, of Muslims. I just want to bring, bring Dr. Gothar Najib, uh, who is from the Marie Curie Fe- who is a Marie Curie Fellow at Newcastle University. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum. Hi, Asalaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum uh, I'm not sure whether you, you got the gist of the discussions we were having. I know you were quite patiently waiting there for us to sort of give you a, a bit of a, a slot, I guess. So uh, just your thoughts on, on, I guess, the definition of Islamophobia, how it manifests itself and, and how, like Dr. Cooper here, uh, can be, I guess, uh, his particular case can be uh, heard, I guess, even though he doesn't fit in some of the categories that have been defined. Yeah, um, I agree with what was said um, when you said that we need to go beyond the simple um, definition of Islamophobia. Uh, I agree with that. We need to go beyond this issue of defining Islamophobia, even if it's very important, especially for academics. Mm-hmm. Um, because we need to to define um, the the topic. But, but thing is, you, you need to def- if you need to define it if you want to yeah, deal with it from a legal perspective, I guess, don't you? Exactly. We need to define it before any um, research, any analy- uh, analyzing. Um, um, I'm here so to discuss the definition of Islamophobia, but it's not a simple question because sure. there are plenty of definitions. Yeah. Um, for example, for my project, I'm, I am a French geographer and um, I work on spaces of anti-Muslim act. So uh, in my project, I define Islamophobia as anti-Muslim hate crime, mm-hmm. targeting Muslim or presumed Muslim populations and uh, institutions. I wanted to have a quite simple definition in order to focus on the spatial dimension of Islamophobia and provide a spatial reading of the phenomenon, something new, something innovative. But um, with my research team, my supervisor, Professor Peter Hopkins and other researchers, we have recently provided a submission on the definition of Islamophobia Mm -hmm. to the all-party parliamentary group Mm -hmm. on British Muslims. And following diverse consultations uh, with policymakers, academics, uh, community groups, the APPG recommend that Islamophobia should be regarded as a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. It is just a recommendation, mm-hmm. but we are happy with this definition uh, because we need to have a common understanding of what Islamophobia is. Uh, because it will help us to develop common action to tackle this form of racism. Mm-hmm. And we know that Islamophobia has a clear link with racism, but Islamophobia has also a clear link with other types of discrimination, such as um, sexism, mm-hmm. ageism, and classism. So um, we need to go beyond the simple um, uh, issue of defining Islamophobia, and we need to collect different data Sure. in order to provide um, innovative results on, for example, where Islamophobia happens, uh, what are the specific spaces, the specific places, in order to see how spatialized the phenomenon uh, is, but also who are involved, uh, mainly right. okay. women, in order to see how gendered Islamophobia is. Right, okay, so, so Sister Rihanna, this is, this is uh, I, I guess what, what, uh, what Dr. Kothar is, is suggesting is that 
is not just about the definition, although definition is yep. important, and uh, but it's also how the definition, how definition can evolve based on experiences and expressions and how it's actually uh, used in, in a society. And I think it's similar to what you were saying, yep. really, I guess, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's basically uh, masking an emotion effectively behind some... Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything um, the, the the doctor said there, and I think um, we 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 had our Islamophobia conference yesterday, and working with teachers, um, and we had Dr. Chris Allen come come and speak, and he has also been one of the academics who has um, sort of signed up to endorse this this definition. And the important thing is, yes, the you know, and she's outlined the doctor here has outlined the important reasons why we need a definition. But what what the purpose of us finally sort of saying, okay, can we have this and draw a line under it? Is actually how does this now help us bring about action? So That's if the we are understanding, thing, guess, so in terms of policy, so if we consider this as a type of racism and we understand that it functions uh, as a type of racism, then you can kind of look at actually what kind of policies can we consider in order to combat this? And there's actually a wealth of research already done around racism, how it functions, and ways that which we can start to tackle it. And we have failed quite miserably as a country to do that effectively. But we can start it's thinking... It's better than most countries, I would say, in Europe. Well, I mean, the, the, uh, do you know, I, I struggle with that response because mm. to say, yeah, you're, you're racist, but if, uh, it's not Nazi we, Germany, is it? So <laughs> if we were, if, if I wouldn't we were, quite say that, but I say I think Britain is ahead of the curve. If we, if we were only talking about the issue of a definition for Islamophobia and, and our country backing that today, I, I would be in total agree with you. But the fact that we've, we've, we've got this other bill going on at the same time, I'll be... Well, <laughs> I don't I, know. It's I, interesting. I'll be, I'll be completely frank with you. I, I don't I have to say this. Yeah. Only talking about Islamophobia and constantly saying, oh, it's a type of racism, it's a type of racism. It is not a type of racism. It's colourblind. It is simply not liking you because you're Muslim. So yeah, but, 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 but also... And, and what you need to appreciate... Race, but there's racism a massive, is not always about there's colour, a massive, is it? There's a massive, constantly increasing population of converts in this country, and that is ultimately, eventually, where the majority of Muslims in this country, hundreds of years down the road, are going to be. And constantly talking about Islamophobia having its roots in, in um, racism... I'll be, I'll be completely frank with you, is not helpful. So and it, com it, it completely, you, can I, can it completely to fails, it completely to fails I, to address the problems that people like me have. But, but I think it doesn't, because point. I've already raised the point, Jews are white people. By and large, they are white people, but we understand that they can be victims of a type of racism. So I think, again, it's about the perceptions of that word, racism. When we think of racism... By and large, people of colour are victims of racism, but not exclusively. So it doesn't at all, it doesn't at all take out our, our white, white converts, because what so, we're saying, so you're saying that as a group, regardless but, but, of colour... But colour basically what you're saying is you want us to campaign and, and saying that Islamness is becoming a race. We are saying that we. That's, that's we are saying that's, that's ultimately uh, where you're saying we're what going. We, what we are saying is that if we think of it as functioning as a type of racism, then we can see the impact of it. For example, we know that if you right. were to put I down understand, your, right, yeah. I understand what you're saying. But yeah. if if from the get go we define it in the lines of racism, 
the number of converts that there are in this country, which is getting larger and larger, you don't. The reality is, you don't get you don't get many converts to Judaism. For example, the the issue you raised. So the reality is, if you are going to define it in terms of race, it is completely helpful to the convert community in this country, which is fast growing and continues to grow. Right, Dr. Kotha, you you were trying to make a comment. Yes, I said that it functions as a racism yeah. process because uh, also for convert people. Yeah. Because um, when white women decide to convert and decide to wear the hijab, some of them, um, they have to um, see some other people telling them that they have to go back to their country while they are British, 100% British. So mm. it's a form of racism. Uh, yeah, that yes. and I, I know. White but what I'm going to do, Doctor, so I, 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 I think I'm going to have to just draw doctor, this discussion to a conclusion because we just run out of time. The monitor is telling me I've got 23 oh seconds. Oh, my goodness. Jazakallah, thank you very much, Dr. Kotha, for your time today. Thank uh, you, Dr. Jazakallah, sister, uh, Sirehana, Dr. Abu uh, we, uh, we need another. We need another time of monitoring over there. Inshallah, inshallah, we'll do. I think until next week when we have another exciting uh, packed uh, program, inshallah, next week, uh, we're going to have to say assalamu alaikum for this week, inshallah. Uh, until next week, assalamu alaikum.